The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I'm your host, Barry Corellis, and you are listening to Pod to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 18-plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So, put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Hello, 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 and thank you for coming back for another episode of Pod of Chat Talking Dance. Um, where am I today? I mean, well, we all know that I'm at home in New York because we're still home. Um, but yeah, no, I've just, I don't know, it's been a rough week. Uh, it's been a rough couple of months, to be honest, we know that. Um, but it's just been really hard for me to motivate myself to do much this week. Um, it is now 7 p.m. on Thursday night. I usually get my podcast episodes to my producer by at least Wednesday night. Um, so that gives you a sense of (laughs) how I'm doing. Um, I'm usually on top of stuff. I've just found that the past week it's been, it's been hard. It's it's hard to concentrate. It's hard to move. It's hard to do a lot of things. Um, I'm finding that I need a lot of time to complete tasks. It's not so much that I need time like when I'm in the task to complete it. It's like I need a lot of time after the task is over. Like I can't go from task to task because just I, I don't have the focus ability to focus to get onto something else and change track really quickly it's almost like every little thing that i do takes an immense amount of energy out of me and then i need a couple of hours to recuperate um so yeah that's that's where i am right now um i don't know i feel like i have so much to talk about in the intro and it's just i honestly don't even want to be doing this podcast right now but I got a schedule, and I know that a lot of people are relying on on having this as an outlet. Um, so I'm going to do it. And I I have a topic for the day, and I have things that I feel obligated to talk about, and things that I feel like I need to talk about. Um, so I guess I'm gonna get started, and I'm just gonna see where this goes, because who the hell knows where we're going anyway. Um, so yeah. I mean, we all know what's happening. Uh, the if you don't open up your open up your goddamn eyes. <laughs> um, so there was the the killing of George Floyd that was caught on camera. Um, so we all know it was a killing. We you don't have any time to, or any 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 uh, question there. Like that was pretty obvious. Um, we're going to go through our legal process and hopefully that legal process finds the people uh, that are responsible for that to be held accountable. But um, from there, that really was just the the match on a very, 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 very parched field um, that lit on fire and just started a, a wildfire. Um, I 
honestly, I haven't talked too much on what's been going on with with the protests and how I feel about things. And I mean, I, I read a lot of things online and everybody is shouting and screaming at one another. And they're like, if you, if you aren't saying something, you are a part of the problem. Um, and that's part of the privilege and things like that. And I mean, I've said things, I, I haven't been quiet, but I, I've been trying to take some time to really like figure out like what I should be saying. Cause honestly, right now I feel like I should be listening. Um, like what do my friends need? What do, what does my community need? What, uh, can I do to do better? Um, what can we do as a community to do better? Um, how have you been affected? Why have you been affected? Where have you been affected? Um, have you been slightly affected over and over and over and over and over again, these microaggressions, or have you been extremely affected in, in a very, in, in, in a few different, different experiences? So I, I've been doing a lot of listening and I've been sharing my experiences. I'm finding that sharing my experiences is <laughs> ever since the beginning of this whole COVID fiasco. Um, I've found that sharing my experiences are more helpful than anything else. Um, I have opinions on the virus. I have political opinions. I have opinions on these protests and looting, but my opinions, I, I feel like those can be argued and those can be invalidated or validated. And there will always be somebody to validate them. There will always be somebody to invalidate them. Um, but my experiences are my own. And if I share my experiences, then I... I can offer my voice and then I can offer people to influence my perspective based off of their response to my experience. You can't take away my experience. You can't tell me whether my experience was right or wrong or real or not. It was my experience. Um, but what it does is it allows to a conversation to start. And then from there we have, we have ground to gain. Um, I've really pulled back from posting a lot of dance stuff too. Like I feel kind of guilty talking about dance in this podcast um, because there there is a time to dance, um, but there is also time to pause and listen. It's kind of like when the the whole pandemic started back in March. Uh, I wrote my article in Dance Magazine about uh, uh, reframing resilience during the time in COVID. And again, this is like the beginning of another situation. And instead of reacting... Um, as, a, as somebody who is not directly impacted. I'm not saying I'm not impacted. I'm extremely impacted. I can't even concentrate. But I am not, I am not black. I am not brown. I, am, I, I have not personally experienced uh, what it feels like to be, to, to be a black American. Um, so for me, I, yeah, I've just tried to take a step back and listen and pay attention. I've... I've I don't need to tell everybody what I've done, whether it involves donations or protests, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to, I want to share a little bit. Um, so I think the hardest part for me over the past week has been seeing something happen that I, I, I've fully known and been aware of and paid attention, but, um, I've supported friends who have had issues with racism. Um, 
and I have been around situations where, where racism has happened, I, I have probably at certain points done racist things without even knowing it. Um, and I'm a, there are a handful of things that I'm aware of that I've done. Um, and I don't consider myself a racist person, but, um, that doesn't mean that there aren't times that there's ingrained racism in me that comes out. Um, but yeah, so when, when the, when the situation happened with George Floyd, I was like, this is awful. And then you started to feel the tensions rising. I mean, we already had, I don't know if the national community knows this, but there was a situation in Central Park that happened maybe a week prior to the killing of George Floyd, where uh, a woman was in a part of Central Park where she should have had her dog on a leash and she didn't. And there was a bird watcher who happened to be black and he was going through and he told her that you're supposed to have your dog on a leash here because there's like birds on the ground that this affects their habitats. Um, and she ended up calling the police and it's, it was, it was a story. Um, so that was sort of like a little lead into it. And I remember looking at the situation and being like, well, yeah, she definitely did what she thought was something she could do because she was upset. Um, and it, I mean, the sad part is recently I watched the, the Netflix show about the central park, uh, five, is it five? I think it was the five central park four. Pretty sure it was five. Um, but anyway, so it was, I watched that and it was just shocking to see like how that was, that was something I watched recently. And I was like, this stuff is still happening today. And then there was the, the woman who was killed, uh, at Columbia back in January. Um, and it seemed like they're doing the same situation with some teenagers that happened to be around there. Um, and I haven't heard anything about that, if they were convicted or not, but then this happened and then the George Floyd thing happened. Um, now I think that the, the difference in some of these situations is that, and we've been talking about these things for years and we've seen videos popping up of, uh, people being killed just for being pulled over, which makes no sense. Um, I think the difference this time is that we are emotionally exhausted. We are, um, we've been on edge for months and we have been very emotional. And in my own life, like I, I have recognized times where when I feel like battered and emotionally overwhelmed that if somebody could say one little thing and I take it out of, out of, um, I take it out of, uh, proportion. I like, I, I, it was a small thing and I make it a much bigger thing. And the thing here is this was a big, big thing. Um, and I think because everybody has been so emotionally raw and, uh, we're also also just drained that this big thing turned into one of the biggest things we have ever experienced. Um, so I, I do think that it's a good thing that this is happening and it's finally taking this to, cause what it seems like is going to be changed, but it's just bad timing um, because we're already so drained, so, so drained. Um, and I don't like saying that it's bad timing because, I mean, it's way past due. Um, it's just been hard to, hard to take in. We, especially here in New York, like I'm on day 80, 83, tomorrow will be day 84. Um, I've been home and 
today on the news, Mayor de Blasio went on and said that uh, we enter we we enter phase one next week to reopen. Most of the country is already reopened. Reopened. Most of the state is already reopened. We know that New York was hit the worst of everywhere in the country. Um, we we start phase one reopening on Monday next week. That's the eighth of June, and. That just means like people can go back to construction, like rebuild, like like building, uh, build, creating buildings, developing buildings, um, and manufacturing. So like going into uh, food processing plants and uh, I don't know other textiles and whatnot. Um, so really, in reality, majority of the city is still under lockdown. Um, and De Blasio went on TV today and said that we're not going to be. Like likely not going to leave our homes until July. So, I mean, uh, I don't even know what to say. Um, that will be well over a hundred days that I will be home. I'm I'm already I'm worn out. I it's I don't like I I'm so beyond bored of my regular everyday. I'm happy to be healthy, but so there's that, and then these protests start, and I like want to be a part of the protests, but at the same time. We, we're still dealing with this COVID thing. I'm asthmatic and I'm afraid to go out and be amongst people. Um, and at the same time, there are things happening with like the, the looting and the violence, which usually happens at, at, at night. So, I mean, if I want to protest, I could go out or if I felt comfortable to protest, I could go out during the day. But um, it also, most of the places that the protests are taking place, I would have to walk well over an hour just to get there. Um, so I've been doing things in my own way, but to see like I've lived in New York and Seattle and Houston and Philadelphia and Washington, D.C., and to see just all of these places burn and be looted has just been overwhelming. And I mean, I lived a couple blocks from some of these places Um so like truly my homes are burning, but then I'm watching them burn at the same time. I'm kind of like, well, burn, like burn the, burn it down. Um, I don't know. I just have so many conflicting feelings because I, these things need to happen. Um, but then it's, it's hard to see them happen in places that you've called home. And then now we're under a curfew and the, the police go through the streets every night and they go on their, their, what's, they turn on their, their, like their, 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 what do you call it? Their projectors, their, uh, bullhorns and they announce the curfew. It's just, it's just so much to take in. Um, and then seeing Trump like with those protesters in DC and like violently moving them so he could walk across the street with a Bible and hold it up and take a picture and not say anything. And, I don't know. I, I'm just not feeling very positive, and it's hard to come on here and pretend like I have uh, a lot to say. So, um, I stand with the protesters. I stand with the the black community, and I support them. And I am reaching out to them, and I am listening and I am doing my best to educate myself uh, beyond what I already know. And I, at times I'd step away so I can take care of myself because it's been 83 days and I'm home and I'm tired and I can't go outside and uh, 
their helicopters and it's it's just yeah that's where we are and i'm not going to talk about it much longer so um i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about something else today. i just want to say a couple more things i want to share an experience that i shared on instagram if you haven't been to my instagram i talked about um something that happened and i think it's important for us to also share our, our experiences with uh racism and this was one of the one of the first times that i acknowledged something racist happening with the police um when i was at the school american ballet i had a group of friends and they some of them had some other friends and they said hey we're gonna meet these other dancers in sheep's meadow in in central park and i was excited to get out it was warm um and i always like meeting new people so we went to central park and we were sitting we were laying on towels in sheep's sheep's meadow which is this big field in the middle of central park that's like gated off it's like kind of a common meeting area and we were all like chilling and um i noticed that one of the dancers was rolling a joint and i was very strange back then i was very anti uh that stuff um and uh so they rolled it up, they started smoking the joint, um, and they pa- they tried to pass around everybody. Like half half of them partook and half of us didn't. Um, but it was crazy because I think like I remember like it got passed to me and I said, No, thank you, and I passed it on. And there were like at least three white dancers that that took a hit, and then they passed it on to the black dancer. And the second that it hit the black dancer's hand, two cops popped up out of nowhere. And I remember them talking to him and I was like, well, he's just smoking weed. I thought that that was kind of decriminalized here in New York City. Um, And then like before we knew it, they were like, you need to stand up. And he stood up and they turned him around and they handcuffed him um, and they took him away. They didn't even say anything to us. Like we had no idea what was going on. Um, And it happened so fast. It was it was hard to process. Like, I don't know if anybody would have stood up and said something because it seriously happened so fast. Um, but what has always stuck with me since that moment was that there were a bunch of other people smoking weed there and that they didn't take any of the other people. We were like in the middle of Sheep's Meadow. There was no way that those cops didn't see the other people smoking um, because it wasn't like they were just walking by on the pathway outside of Sheep's Meadow. We were in the middle of it. So how could they have seen that just that one person and gone and arrested them. And I, and that it stayed with me like my entire adult life. I was 18 years old, maybe 17. No, I was 18 years old when that happened. And I just remember being like, why did they choose him? Um, and then something else that has recently gone through my mind, um, just talking about like different situations with different friends and different people and saying how, okay, let's, let's think about things. So if that's how like living with your skin, that color and having the stress and the anxiety that you have, there must be a mental health crisis in the black community. I mean, we know it. Um, and it, it costs, like, I can't even afford therapy. If I had, if I, if I want to get therapy right now, I would have to call, which I probably should, but, um, that's another podcast. I would probably need to call a hotline or find like, uh, affordable care. Um, and we know for a fact that many black communities in the country are, uh, lower income and don't have health insurance or don't have money beyond their health insurance. So to get access to health, mental health care for all that anxiety of having to live in our culture is just impossible. And I know for a fact, and I'm not afraid to say that I, I am a weed smoker. I do, I smoke 
many nights um, for severe anxiety and insomnia. And honestly, like I used to take Ambien. I used to uh, do different things to like Tylenol PM just to try to fall asleep. And I always woke up groggy. And when I finally just allowed myself to get over the fact that people might judge me and that I felt like I was doing something that I shouldn't be doing when I was smoking weed. Um, and I allowed myself to just do that like a little bit every, every night. Um, I don't have any sleeping issues and my anxiety is so much better. My anxiety is still really bad, but, um, it's essentially medicine for me. And to think of the number of people that are incarcerated, the number of, of black people that are incarcerated um, only because they had a joint so that they could smoke, so that they probably could deal with what it means to be a black person living in America. It just uh, it really struck me the other day how this, the, the system is just completely and totally structured to put our black friends and people in our community in these horrible, impossible positions. And I, I'm grateful that this is happening now. And I, I hope that it, it continues and goes further and that uh, we can find ways to finally do right by them. And I, I promise that I will continue my best to do right by, by all of you as well. Um, so yeah, I, I actually wrote in my notes. I don't have any notes. I have like a little, a few little notes um, that I'm not ready to speak out yet um, because I'm educating. So I guess I just spoke out about it a bit. But um, I am not the source of information you should be coming to for uh, much of this. I, I'm going to send you over to some people that I think you should really check out that are speaking out and that are sharing information. Um, and you should, if you care about our dance community, you should care about what's happening. And these, these people are doing some wonderful things. So there's Kiara Felder. Um, I first worked with Kiara at Pacific Northwest Ballet and we've become friends since, um, she was in the school. I choreographed on her and now she's with Le Grand Ballet Canadien. Um, you can, uh, find her on Instagram at Kia Road, K-I-A-R-O-D-E. Um, there's also Nicholas Isaiah King Rose, and you can find him at Nicholas Rose. That's N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S Rose, uh, on Instagram. And he's a dancer for the National Ballet of Canada. And you have George Sanders, who I think he just left Ballet Memphis. I'm not completely sure where he's going. And he is G Wins, W-I-N-S, and there's an underscore after that. So check them out. Do some research. Inform yourself. Make sure your eyes, your ears are open. Make sure that you are finding ways to uh, support all of the the black people in in our dance community and in your own personal communities. Um, if you need to take time for yourself, yeah, do it. I'm doing it for myself. You shouldn't feel like everybody yelling on social media um, is yelling at you, and that you have to constantly be active. I mean, we're already exhausted from what's been going on. Um, like really, really, really exhausted from what's been going on. So do make sure that you're taking care of yourself. But when you find a, an ounce of energy, put that energy there. Um, and we'll get back to, to dancing as soon as we can get justice. Um, and if you don't agree with me, I'm sorry. Um, but you are more than welcome to 
reach out to me at, uh, you can go to my website. It's www.barrykerollis.com. That's www.barrykerollis.com. Shoot me a message on my contact page or find me on Instagram or Facebook. And I'm, I'm happy to talk to you if you disagree with me. If you yell at me, I'm not going to respond to you um, because I only, I only partake in civil conversations. Um, but... If you disagree with me, I'm sorry, um, and I'm here to talk to you if you want to talk about that. So, all right, I said I wasn't going to talk about <laughs> the protests, the looting, and all everything that's going on, but we are now 23 minutes in, and I'm exhausted, and I don't want to talk anymore, but I'm going to share quickly just a little, a little something for all of you, um, a little bit of light, maybe, I don't know if this is light, it's been interesting because I, uh, so, okay. I came up with this topic two weeks ago before everything was going on because it, it really like felt very relevant. Um, I have seen a handful of friends and a handful of other dancers who um, just chose to retire from their their performance career this year um, or who chose to leave a company this year. Um, and well, yeah, shitty timing for y'all. Sorry about that. That is awful. And I, I, again, I'm very sorry that that happened to you. Um, it's been interesting because in the dance world, it's, it's not like you give two weeks notice. Um, we, especially in unionized companies, you're required to let most companies know by, I think it's April 1st, usually like March 1st, you get your, your letter of re-engagement, which is essentially just like a letter of intent that the company is going to hire you back into the next season. And then the, usually the union rules say that like the dancer has a month to respond from that date. Um, so most dancers have to give their notice during the month of March, if they plan on returning to the company or not. Um, so, uh, a lot of dancers, especially if they're retiring, they, they try to give more notice because they're going to often have like a big, finale like a to-do um so they let them know before that so we didn't know until mid-march really that covid was going to be as bad as it's been in the united states um and so for that reason a lot of dancers were like hey this is my final year i'm ready to do it let's get this done um and they start looking forward to these final performances um i think that it's kind of it's kind of like a, what's the word? Um, almost an expectation that you kind of get to end your career or your time on with, with the company, at least to a degree on your own terms. Um, and even for those that don't get reengaged, a lot of companies will have like little finales where they get to say goodbye to their audience. Um, I know that for me as a young dancer that I really looked up to the system. Um, I remember when I was with Houston Ballet and then when I went to PNB, it became like very much a part of the end of every season to say farewell to a retiring dancer um, that, that gave so much to the company. And it was always so magical to like see their final show and then to see them come up for their final bow and for the confetti to drop and for flowers to be thrown on stage and for like their, the company to come on stage behind them. And then their like their partners over the years coming to wish them well. Um, and then maybe their family comes on stage. It's always been very heartwarming. And I think that every dancer, when they start their career, they, they kind of have that like in the back of their head that like, I hope that 
I can have such a, a wonderful career that in the end, people want to celebrate it and I'll have this amazing send off. Um, and even for those that don't have that amazing send off, I think that it's just that idea that like when it comes to finishing, you hope that you have the, the, some say in how you get to end it. You can have a final performance where you can invite, even if you're not a lead, um, and if you're young when you retire, but at least you can be like, this is my final performance and you can invite your family and your friends and anybody that can, wants to celebrate your career to come and experience that final performance with you. So, yeah, I definitely had that vision uh, in my head that I was going to get to that point. And so I, I, I danced at Houston Ballet for a year. I danced at the Pacific Northwest Ballet for seven years. And the year that I chose to leave the company, um, it was my seventh season and I was in the core. And usually the way it would work is like one or two people would retire. And if it was like a big star, they'd have like a big show that was focused on them. And if there was like a core, a senior core dancer, they would give them like a nice solo or pas de deux to, to dance. Um, so you really felt like you got a moment on stage. Uh, but it didn't happen that way for me. Um, one of my biggest, uh, not regrets, but one of my biggest things that I, I always... Uh, mourned at Pacific Northwest Ballet was that I never got to bow in front of the curtain. I never got a page call. I did a handful of leading roles, but usually it would be like a bunch of people had a leading role in that piece. And like, for instance, Romeo and Juliet, only Romeo and Juliet got to bow in front of the curtain. Mercutio didn't get to. In A Midsummer's Night Dream, um, Titania and Oberon, I believe, and the divertisements got to bow and page bow, but Puck did not. Um, so for me, like, I was like, okay, my final show, I'll get to do that. And I didn't because seven people chose to leave the company that year. Two very long-time principals, like over 20 years in the company. Um, there was a soloist and then uh, several senior core dancers that were actually more senior than me. So I got to perform in the, th- the third movement of Ruby's. Um, and it was very awkward there that there, it was for me and another dancer and, um, they also had the, one of the main principals that was leaving do the lead role. So really it was about her. It wasn't about us. So I never really felt like I got a true, like final performance where I got to be, uh, like the center of attention and say goodbye. I, I did with Puck in A Midsummer's Night Dream. Um, I, I kind of treat it like that, but that had been like two months prior to this or a month and a half prior to this. So yeah, that was that. Then I went to Ballet X. And as we all know, the story of Ballet X, I only stayed there for a season and I got fired um, for an injury and I went straight into freelancing. So as a freelancer, it's interesting because really like you don't know when your career is ending because you're going from job to job to job. I always said that I, I never knew if I was retired or not because if nobody hired me for another job, then the last performance was my last performance. So to be a freelancer was a different experience. Um, but I, I always thought that I would like get to make the decision that I was going to have a final, final show. Um, and I think that I was holding on too long for a certain point. But the, the thing is, like, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. My final year, I was so burnt out. And I had reached out to a few company directors. I did it probably, not probably, I know this for a fact. I did it the wrong way. Um, but I reached out to a comp- couple company directors. was like, I'm ready to get back into company life. I don't want to freelance anymore. Um, and, but I kept on freelancing throughout it and I was burnt out and I wasn't enjoying it. And my body, my back was starting to give me problems where every time I did a gig, I was afraid it was going to go out. Um, it wasn't like I had a good gig and a bad gig. It was like every gig I would sit there and be like, is my back going to go out? Um, so yeah, 
I, I just kept on going and going and going um, because I wasn't ready to retire yet. And I ended up having my final performance happen without me even realizing it was happening. So at the end of my, at the end of my performance career, I, I was doing really well uh, on paper and I got to dance uh, in a launch of a new company. I did the Cavalier as a guest artist with the Rochester City Ballet. I was brought in last second as a guest principal with Company C Contemporary Ballet in the Bay Area in California. And then I was brought out to Fort Wayne, Indiana to do Romeo and Juliet. And I... Romeo and Juliet's a very special piece to me because it was the first it was the first ballet I danced as a professional with American Ballet Theater. Um, and I did many different roles and many different versions of that ballet. And we did the version that I started my career with at uh, at American Ballet Theater, the the Macmillan version. And I was doing Romeo. They brought me in to dance with their lead principal. And I had, I had just, I mean, it was a very stressful experience because I only had two weeks to put the production together. Um, and I was learning it from scratch because I never had learned Romeo. Um, but it was just exhilarating and it was so magical and I really connected with my partner and it was kind of a full circle moment. I wish I'd realized in the moment, in the moment, but, um, after that performance, I guess, I don't remember how long it was. It's probably like a week or two um, after that. It might have been less than a week, actually. I went to Oakland Ballet, and um, that was the gig where I got hurt and burnt out beyond belief and never performed again. But I didn't realize that that was going to happen. Um, so I had my final performance with Romeo and Juliet with Fort Wayne Ballet, and then Oakland Ballet didn't work out, and I was injured and, and burnt out. And when I when I ended up finally going home, I realized how burnt out and injured I was and that I needed time to recover. So I took a few things for work. You've, if you've followed me for a while, you know this story. If you don't, you're gonna have to go back on my podcast and just listen to my, my story about like how my career ended. But um, I, I wasn't, I didn't think I was retiring. Like I thought like, I'm going to take this break. I'm going to go to Alaska. And if that works out great and I'll have like, I'll have a retirement, I'll be able to call it on my terms. Um, but Alaska didn't work out and I came home and I was like emotionally so burnt out that I couldn't really bring myself to go in the studio. But at the same time I was like, I'm coming back for this career. I need to have like a finale so I can like put a period on the end of my, my career and, and not have it open-ended. Um, and I think for that reason, I truly never like understood, like even to this day, like I keep on changing the date that I retired. Um, cause in reality, like I retired in a gig in Oakland ballet. Yes, I did a few shows for Nutcracker. You could say I came out of retirement for that. Really, I just did that to make money and to support the school that I, I was raised at because I love going back home and, and giving back. Um, but yeah, it was, it was confusing. It was extremely confusing because um, it's easier to define something when you get to prepare for it. And I wasn't prepared for it. And I didn't know what to prepare for because I wasn't sure if I was going back or if I was moving on. Um, so obviously, I was starting to cultivate the teaching and the choreography side of my career. But I still thought I was going to come back all the way up until the point where I decided to move to New York. So in uh, the fall of 
2015, I had finally made the decision that I needed to transfer to New York and, um, or transition to New York and that I was going to start super commuting. And I moved to New York and I started like really pushing to get back into shape. And I remember Nancy Bielski, one of my mentors, I've talked about her before. She teaches, she's a master teacher at Steps on Broadway. She would come up to me and be like, Hey, Twyla Tharp is looking for dancers. Do you want me to put in, put you in contact? Um, and I was like, no, I'm not ready. And then like a month later, she's like, Hey, what about that Twyla thing? I was like, I'm not ready. And then finally, like, I guess it probably was like March or April of 2017. She was like, are do, you're, you look great. Like you're ready. Do you want me to reach out to Twyla? And I was like, I was like, I, I, I'm so anxious and I can't bring myself to like do it. Like, I think this might be the end. Um, so I kind of like tried to like come to terms with the fact that maybe that was the end um, but I knew that at any point I could just turn around and be like, no, I'm going to keep on performing. I'm going to figure this out. Cause if Nancy thinks I'm ready to perform, I must be ready to perform. Although it's been since 2014. So it was 2000, mid 2014, May of 2014. Um, and then I went to Alaska, came back from Alaska and I, sorry, I'm thinking 2016, not 2017, sorry, 2016. But so yeah, Alaska, I came back 2015. I spent uh, in Philadelphia doing a, a choreography gig and doing some other choreography stuff. And then Super Community started in 2016. So by April of 2016, uh, I kind of figured like, I guess I'm retired. Um, and still after that for a while, like people would be like, I, would, I announced like, I think I'm retired, but it wasn't like congratulations, I remember this amazing thing that you did and, oh, like, you're going to have such a wonderful second career. It was like I was already kind of in my second career without realizing it. And then, yeah, I, I didn't have a final show. Like, I always swore that on the day of my retirement, I was going to burn all of my ballet slippers. They are all still sitting in my mom's basement. I have every pair of ballet slippers I've ever worn as a professional. <laughs> I'm not joking. And I always said I was going to burn them when I retired from, from my performance career. And I didn't because I didn't know that it was over. And I, I don't know what to do because it feels dumb having like a retirement like party when I'm like significantly in the, the second part of my, my dance career. Um, but yeah, I, it's just, it's just, it was, it was a really fascinating experience to retire, um, over a few years. It was kind of like, there was no to do about it. And I, I wish I had it. Like, I, I really do wish I had it, but at the same time, like it's been interesting to see how I've developed without having it. Um, as a kid, like I thought like I would get to retire on my own terms and that it would be this like momentous occasion. And there was absolutely nothing momentous about my retirement, except that it happened with a bang and it didn't happen with a positive bang. It happened like dropping from like a fit like jumping off of, out of a window of a 50 foot building and it was just over <laughs> painful and I somehow survived and put myself back together over the next couple of years but there was n there was no closure with it and I still think that I I feel the effects of it today um and I think that that's why I I think differently than a lot of my peers I think that that's um really shaped me in this portion of my career because I, I never got to say goodbye. Um, I didn't, I never got to say goodbye to the stage. I never like got to thank the audience for everything that they inspired me to do. I never got to like appreciate 
being so vulnerable in front of thousands of people every night. I never got to say, like, have one final bow. I never got to have, like, that afterglow. I never got to have, like, that closure where I, where I could say, you know what, I'm going to give myself a month off. I'm going to treat myself well and celebrate and go out and enjoy my friends and my 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 peers and my colleagues and uh transition it was like the transition happened without me even realizing it and i just been thinking a lot about all of those dancers that are retiring this year um or that are leaving companies and that it's so the position that i was in was so rare um but this year there are going to be so many so many artists that are going to go through this transition without having that period at the end of this chapter and I'm just uh, I'm just really curious how it's going to affect them and um, if like if they're going to feel like they need to keep in shape and keep on moving so that they can finally have that moment. Like our companies in nine months going to have retirement performances for dancers that announced that they were retiring 18 months ago. Like who knows? But it's it's really been on my mind a lot. The 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 people that are retiring and. Um, I feel for them. Like, I, I, I don't feel bad for them. I'm sorry to say that. Um, I, I, I just feel for them because I can empathize with them. And I hope that this shapes them into unique artists because really what we're all trying to do is we're trying to make our mark in the field. And a lot of people make the same mark in the same way. Well, they sorry, they make different marks in the same way. And to have this experience, it's really truly going to hopefully allow them to have a different perspective on what it means to have a dance career um, and so much more. So I hope that they really take some time to evaluate and think. I'll be curious to see how a lot of them do choose to put the period on their the end of their dance career because honestly, like, I still don't feel like I have that period at the end of my dance career. And I don't feel like I need to be on stage to do it, but I, I still think, like, I don't know, I still think of myself more of a dancer <laughs> then like I, I'm still very much a dancer and I it's probably because I didn't get to do that so yeah that's that I did it <laughs> I made it through this podcast I I hope that it was some something cohesive and that it brings something to you um like I said these it's just hard times and if you can make it through each day and just make it through each day um you're doing good um I am doing okay. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm, I'm just here. I'm not much more. <laughs> um, but I, I'm happy to share what left I have to give to you. And I hope that next time I podcast that I, I'm feeling a little bit better, but if it means that our country is, or at least our city is safe from this virus and that we can move forward for, uh, those suffering from racial injustices and inequalities. Um, I'm, I'm okay. I'm fine with that, but I, I don't know how much more I can take of this. It's, it's really starting to, starting to wear on me. So, um, I hope that you gained something from this. If you did, please do, uh, send me a little, Hey, I could use a little a little boost from, from people. Just let me know that you're listening. Uh, I really appreciate it when people reached out to me a, a couple months ago when I, I talked about the sirens and the experience of being in New York. So, um, yeah, that's the end people. That's the end for today. 
I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod of Chat Talking Gents. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel re- free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrycorollis.com. And that's my contact page if you didn't get that. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcasts on the Premier Dance Network. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Carolus, or Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to check out my blogs. I have Life of a Freelance Dancer, and you can find that at lifeofafreelancedancer.blogspot.com. I wrote on there for five years about working as a freelance artist around the country and independent contracting. And I also have uh, Dancing Offstage, and you can find that at dancingoffstage.wordpress.com. And on that blog, I talked about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. I also have a YouTube channel uh, that shows my choreography. You can find that at B. Carolis. Uh, just go to youtube.com, go to the search panel, type in B. Carolis. Uh, I also forgot to mention, if you want to find out more information about my company, Movement Headquarters Ballet Company, you can head to www.movementhqballet.org, or you can go onto my YouTube channel there as well. Uh, you can go to YouTube and just type in Movement Headquarters. Thanks for listening in to Pod of Chat, Talking Dance. I hope you return two weeks from this Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.